The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. Welcome, everybody. I'm really glad that you're with us this morning. Everybody here in the room, thanks for being here. Shout out to anybody tuning in online. Welcome to everybody in the name of Jesus Christ. And once again, every Sunday we try to let our visitors know we're grateful that you're here, that you've chosen to worship with us. We're really, really honored by your presence. And so we hope you'll give us a chance to get to know you a little bit, connect with you hopefully after service. But we're glad that you've chosen to be with us this morning. And I want to invite you to be with us a couple Sundays from now, October 29th, for our annual tradition, Trunk or Treat. So it'll be right out here in the parking lot at 5 p.m. It's always a great time, candy, games, decorations, costumes, and if you can volunteer, uh, we'd love for you to shoot your phone at that QR code, sign up, decorate a trunk, donate a big bag of candy, but most of all, we'd love for you to be there two Sundays from now, October 29th at 5 p.m. out in the parking lot for Trunk or Treat. But this morning we are finishing, not quite finishing, but we're in the last two weeks of our series on Philippians. So we're going to be in chapter four, the beginning this morning, and then Ben is going to finish things out next Sunday. But we find ourselves in Philippians 4, verses 1 through 9 this morning. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, Whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As for the things that you have learned and received and heard and noticed in me, do them and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Lord, once again this morning, we give you thanks for your word, and we thank you for your living word, Jesus Christ. God, we ask that you would help us to lay our burdens down at your feet, to give you our cares, Lord, and to trust in Christ and his kingdom. Jesus, we praise you and love you, and Lord, I ask you for the gift of preaching. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.
On August 9th, 1914, Karl Barth stepped into the pulpit in Safenville, Switzerland. He would later become, over the coming decades, arguably the greatest theologian of the 20th century. But that morning, Bart was a young pastor in his third year at a little church in Switzerland. And that morning, as he stepped into the pulpit, scribbled at the top of his sermon manuscript was war between Germany, Austria, France, England, Russia. You see, the war that had broken out the previous week had now ballooned to include England and Belgium and France. And because England had an empire around the world, this little European war had now ballooned into a world war. And while Bart and his congregation were in Switzerland, which was officially neutral, that was no guarantee that they would be able to avoid the tragedies coming. That was no guarantee. They'd been overrun by troops in previous wars, and so 250,000 able-bodied Swiss men went to the borders that prior week. And Karl Barth stepped into the pulpit, and the text that he chose to preach was, do not be anxious about anything. Philippians 4, 6. Karl Barth's congregation was about the same distance to the German border as this congregation is to the Oklahoma City airport. 25 miles. And I wonder how the folks in his congregation heard the words of Paul in Philippians 4, 6 that morning. Those sons and daughters and mothers and wives who thought about their husbands and fathers and sons and brothers headed to the border of war. I wonder if any Ukrainian pastors in the last year and a half have reached for Paul's words from Philippians 4, verse 6. I wonder if any Christians in Israel, Gaza right now, are looking at Paul's words in Philippians 4, verse 6 and hearing, do not be anxious about anything. Paul don't you know we are anxious about everything? We are beset by worry and strife and fear. Many of us have struggled with anxiety. I struggled a lot with anxiety in my 20s. There's so much to be anxious about. And our society, the Pew Research Center, did a poll of Americans a year ago and found that 62% of adults had experienced anxiety in the last week. That's just in America. We're not in the middle of a war right now. There are places all around the world with all kinds of reasons to be anxious. There's the city of Philippi in the first century with all kinds of reasons to be anxious. From what we know about them, they were probably an oppressed minority in their city, these Christians in the first century in Philippi, because they had withdrawn likely from the public pagan worship services. So they were probably ostracized because of that. They probably lost economic standing. Maybe they lost tenancy. Maybe they experienced a divorce through that. Maybe their families renounced them. They had 
all kinds of reasons. Paul, we've got all kinds of reasons to be anxious. Don't you get that? Indeed he does. Remember, Paul is writing these words from prison. Paul is in chains when he writes, do not be anxious about anything. So from the start, I want us to know and hear that God cares about our anxiety. God cares about your worries. God cares and hears. He is the God who hears the cries of the oppressed. He's the God who hears the brokenness of the afflicted. God cares about our anxiety, and the scripture is no stranger to anxiety. In the Old Testament, Proverbs says anxiety weighs down the human heart, but a good word cheers it up. And Psalms says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. And yet, as many times as we cast our burdens on the Lord, how often do they come right back? As many times as we try to release ourselves from those anxious thoughts, from those worries and fears, and they just spring right back in. Right? Our minds, like this strong tractor beam pull, just pulls it to this negative. The Christian author John Acuff actually talks about this in a book about overthinking called Soundtracks. And, and he asks, have you ever had to work hard to remind yourself of something dumb you said a long time ago? Do you need a to-do list to overthink an embarrassing situation from the eighth grade even though you're now in your 30s or beyond? Did you need a note on your calendar to make sure you'd spend the whole weekend thinking about why your boss called a meeting with you on Monday morning? We're drawn to the worries. Our minds just rubber band right back as many times as we cast our cares. But God cares about our anxiety and God invites us from our anxieties into his peace. And so what I want to say about Paul's words in Philippians 4, 6 this morning, I think we should say first, don't turn Paul's invitation into a condemnation. Don't turn God's invitation to peace into a condemnation if you're not currently experiencing that right now. Right? Because we get in these cycles where like, I'm anxious, but but I'm not supposed to be anxious, so I'm sinning by being anxious, and now there's a whole other layer, and I'm more anxious, and I feel more sinful, and it's on and on and on. All right, this is an invitation, not a condemnation. All right, if I invite you, and I say, hey, you, you have to come over to our place for, for dessert after the show. Right, I've phrased it like a command, but it's an invitation. And if you can't do that, if you can't come to that good thing that I'm inviting to you, that's okay. God is inviting us to be free from anxiety. Here's another thing that I don't think Paul is saying in Philippians 4 verse 6 though. Paul is not Bob Marley. Paul's not Bobby McFerrin. Don't worry, be happy. I don't think Philippians 4, 6 translates exactly to Hakuna Matata. Paul's not saying we should never have a care or be concerned about anything ever. 
right? And we know this because Paul uses the same word for anxiety, care, concern in a positive way in other places. Actually, earlier in Philippians chapter one, Paul says of Timothy, I have no one so like myself who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Same root word right there. And then Janine Brown actually points out an even more fascinating place where Paul's talking about being married or being single in 1 Corinthians 7. And he, he says he prefers that people would be like him and able to serve the Lord as a single person. But he says in verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the affairs of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about the affairs of the world, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. So Paul uses the word for anxiety in both positive and negative ways, and in graded ways, right? He says, I don't want you to be anxious, but it's actually good when people can be concerned, single-minded about the Lord's concerns, right? When people are actually more focused on what God wants from us. Right? Paul wants us to be free from needless anxiety, but to be concerned and care about the things of the Lord. Which I think is actually pretty similar to the ways that counselors will sometimes talk about anxiety in our society. Right? We got some counselors and therapists in this congregation, and one of the analogies that they'll sometimes use, they'll talk about anxiety like a smoke alarm. Have you heard this before? Right? A, a smoke alarm is something you want in your house because it can alert you to real danger. If there's a fire. But it can also go off at things that aren't really that big of a deal, like burnt toast. Right? And if your smoke alarm is going off on burnt toast and little things like that, then maybe it's a little too sensitive. Or maybe your smoke alarm is going off because your batteries are dead. Right, and you just gotta change the batteries, recharge the batteries. Anxiety is a little bit like that. You want to be able to be concerned about big things, right? But also if it's getting overworked by the burnt toast, or maybe you just need to recharge your batteries, then that can be an issue, right? Paul talks a little bit like that as well, right? He, he doesn't want us to be needlessly concerned about anxieties, but he wants us to be concerned about the things of the Lord, right? It's like Jesus, when in the Sermon on the Mount, when he talks about worry, at the very end of that, what does he say? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Keyword first, right? Seek first the things of the Lord. Care first. Be concerned most about the things of the Lord. And then everything else is going to fall into place. So Jesus and Paul might ask, hey, why do you have a smoke alarm in your vacation house and not in your actually, actual home? Right? You've got a smoke alarm for all these cares and concerns that are earthly, but are you really care, caring and concerned about the things of the Lord? About the kingdom of heaven that we pray comes on earth. Remember what Jesus says to Martha in Luke 10? 
The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, but few things are needed, indeed only one. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. We empathize with Martha, right? We, we got a lot of cares and concerns and distractions and things to worry about, but Jesus says, Mary has chosen better. She's chosen the one ultimate concern, seeking first the kingdom. So Paul wants to free us from anxiety. He wants to set us free from those needless concerns and worries, but he wants us to direct our care and concern at the kingdom of God, right? If we try to get rid of our anxieties in other ways, those are just distractions that are going to fail us, right? We try to get rid of our anxieties by pointing ourselves at the rectangle in our pockets or pointing ourselves at the rectangle on our wall. But Soren Kierkegaard says, to cast care away but not upon God, that is distraction. But distraction is a most doubtful and ambiguous remedy. So it matters where we place our cares and concerns. It matters where we direct them. So this morning, as we begin to wind down, I want to give you three ways that I believe the Lord helps us combat our anxieties. And the first way comes right before Philippians 4, verse 6. In verse 5, Paul says simply, the Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. Jesus is risen He hears us. He's with us in Matthew's gospel. He says, I'm with you always to the very end of the age where two or more are gathered. I'm there. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He is with us. So the Lord's proximity overpowers anxiety. The Lord's nearness overpowers our anxiety. The fact that the Lord is near gives Paul confidence, not in the flesh, but in the kingdom of God. The Lord's proximity overpowers our anxiety. No matter how big and ginormous they are, no matter how many real reasons we have to be concerned, the only measurement that really matters is the fact that Jesus is near, that he is coming soon, that he remains with us. There's a great scene from the 1980s movie Hoosiers. If you haven't seen it, it's just a classic basketball underdog story. And it's a rinky-dink little Hickory, Indiana town, high school basketball team. And of course, the outsider, Gene Hackman, coach, comes in, turns things upside down, ruffles feathers, and yet is successful. And they get all the way to the championship game. And for this, they got to go to the big city. They got to go to the big, ginormous arena. And there's a scene where they're coming into practice in that arena before the championship. And they walk in, and it's just huge. It's bigger than anything they've ever seen. And you can see they're kind of paralyzed walking around inside of it. And he walks them down to the court, and he's got a tape measure. And he measures with the team. He says, okay, from the free throw line to the baseline, how, how long is that? He said, 15 feet. And he has a measure from the rim to the floor. He says, how, how tall is that? They say, 10 feet. He says, I think it's 
you'll be surprised to find it's the exact same measurements in our gym in Hickory, Indiana. And you can see the, the fears kind of fade away on their faces and this peace and confidence settles in on his team. Paul says the only measure that really matters is that the Lord is near to us. The Lord is with us. No matter how big and enormous and gigantic our concerns and cares are, the only measure that really matters is that Jesus is with us. He is near. The Lord's proximity overpowers anxiety. Second way God helps us in our anxiety comes in verse 8. Beautiful part of our passage. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. God doesn't want to just take away our anxious thought loops. He wants to replace them with something virtuous. If we just throw them away with distractions, it's going to create a vacuum that it snaps right back in to fill. God wants to give us good things to think about. But notice, this thinking and contemplating is communal. He says, brothers and sisters... The Greek verb for think about these things is in the second person plural. As Ben said a few weeks ago, y'all think about these things. You all think about whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, pleasing. It's a communal thing. And so the second way God helps us is that the Lord's people overpower anxiety. Anxiety cares and concerns. It's not a battle you can fight on your own. It's not a war you can win by yourself. We need each other. We need one another to come around each other. I know I have needed wise Christian mentors, counselors, friends, this church, a connections group. We need one another. We need room 113 where we can go for prayer where we can confess what's going on. And then, in fact, that's what Paul says. After he says in verse six, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It surpasses all understanding. And it's guarded by Christ Jesus. He guards our hearts and our minds. We've not been left alone with our cares and concerns. We've been given each other, and we've been given Jesus. And Jesus has even drawn so near as to experience our anxiety himself. Remember Philippians 2? He descends to the form of a slave, to human likeness. He undergoes death. We believe that Jesus was like us unto every respect except sin. He experienced fear. He wept. He was anxious. Read about him in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
He experienced it. Hebrews says that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. God has not left us alone in our anxiety. He has entered into it himself in Jesus Christ. He became a slave, underwent death and fear and anxiety, but he didn't stay there. He didn't stay there. Remember, he's raised from the dead. He's exalted. He's given the name that is above every other name. So he's not down in the muck with us. Now he has a different perspective. Now he has the perspective that we can have. A perspective because we're not just down here in the earth. We are citizens of heaven, right? As Paul said in chapter 3, their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus experiences our experience. But he rises above so that the Lord's perspective overpowers anxiety. The Lord's perspective gives us a perspective of hope, helps us know we're not stuck here, helps us know God hears us and cares. He has overcome. The Lord's perspective overpowers our anxiety. This is precisely what Karl Barth told his congregation in 1914. He said, the whole world of suffering and worry, both present and future, exists and presses on and causes us pain. Yet we remain calm and secure because we see beyond this. Even though we are only abject, frail creatures, we stand not under but above this world, just as the mighty, holy God is above it. As Paul says in Colossians, so if you've been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The Lord is near, so we don't have to be anxious. The Lord has given us each other, so we don't have to fight it on our own. The Lord has given us Jesus Christ. He has descended to the form of a slave. He has experienced what we experience, and yet he has overcome and given us a perspective of hope. And he's taught us to seek first the kingdom. And he promises everything else is going to work out in the end. All the wrongs will be righted when Jesus Christ returns, when God renews all things. That is our hope. That is our prayer. We stand right now, Springs Church, and praise the Jesus Christ who overpowers our anxiety.